By the way, never toast your bun. It was for girls. Do you know that I once heard, how far do you think the horizon is? If you start talking about his brush strokes, I'm ending this episode. And don't forget that great line in Caddyshack. You don't sound that affected right now. (laughs) At all. Sometimes difficult to fork. Bing, 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 smart dribble time. Co-host Kurt Schneider here and... Uh, As usual, a stun to John Ellenthal after Kurt's openings. John, today is episode number 26 of Smart Dribble. 26, that's half a year. Ah, that's a good way to think of it. 52 weeks in a year, 26 is half a year. So today's episode, John, because I want to jump right in. Today's episode is for fun. I've called it this or that. You know how there's a lot of those things people ask, are you that type of person or that type of person? Are you Republican or Democrat? Do you like this or that? So that's what we're going to call it. And we're just going to have a little debate about each random topic uh, question, okay? I'm ready to debate with you on the topics that define modern life. So, John, we're going to start. Are you ready? Yes. Hamburger or hot dog? Not an easy choice, which is why it's debatable. I am going to go with the hot dog for one. I am going to stick with the hot dog, despite your admonition, for one simple reason. And that is condiments, Kurt. Condiments. There are so many incredible things you can put on a hot dog. And by the way, I'm a ketchup guy on the hot dog because I can't stand those people. I believe that it is a violation of the laws of nature to put ketchup or even worse, catsup, whatever that is, on a hot dog. But mustard, particularly mustard with horseradish in it, relish, sauerkraut, onions, not all on the same hot dog, Kurt. There are so many great condiments. Now, by the way, I'm not commenting on whether the hot dog is made of meat or made of plant. Don't have I'm just to. talking about the form. So on the condiment side alone, hot dog wins. I think hot dog is one of those things... Nice in theory, horrendous in execution. It just doesn't work. A hamburger, John, a hamburger. Okay, before you tell me about the wonders of the hamburger, would you please describe the executional problems as you describe them of the hot dog? Halfway through eating it, it tastes like crapola. You're like, you start burping it up and you still got halfway to go. Have you ever had a plant-based hot dog, Kurt? I've had a plant-based hot dog, John. Do you know that the government allows up to 10% bone content in a hot dog just from the process of stripping the meat from the bone in the manufacturing process? So we have a lot of these to go through. So I want to just quickly tell you, you're wrong. It's hamburger. And a hamburger is a joy of life, a beautiful sizzling patty. And you can put whatever you want on it in between Oh, two soft buns. By the way, never toast your bun with a burger. You want the bread to be soft so that the juices flow into it. Okay. Hang on. Can we talk about... No, I won one zip. You go. You didn't realize it was going to be such the hot seat today, did you? For you to believe that you won that debate because you burp up hot dogs halfway through is preposterous. What's our next one? Red or white wine, John. Before we have all of your caveats and conditions, I will tell you a little surprisingly that I prefer white wine. No surprise at all. I am prone to bad headaches, and I find that red wine is more likely to trigger a bad headache than white wine. 
the tannins. I also also prefer wine when it's warm out and you're eating something fresh. And white wine seems to be better when you're sitting by the water, having a nice, fresh, whatever, little glass of perhaps Sauvignon Blanc. My brother, who is a bona fide wine snob and has a wine cellar and quite a collection, whenever anyone says Sauvignon Blanc in his presence, he reflexively says, cat this. No, I like Sancerre, which is sort of the French Sauvignon Blanc. So I had you for a rosé guy. So very interestingly, the first rosé I ever tried was what we used to drink in the early 90s or 80s. It was called White Zinfandel back then before the rosé thing hit. And it was terrible. It was Kool-Aid, high C, whatever you want to say. And then I spent the summer in Provence of 2001, John, and I was underneath this beautiful Bougainvillea tree eating outside, and it was hotter than Hades and no air conditioning. And my wife introduced me to the beauties of a cold rosé, and I thought, oh my goodness, because I'm a red guy, John. I like red wine. Shot enough to pop is my favorite by far, because I love the Grenache grape, as we've talked about in the past. Gigondas, Vaki Ross, all the Rhone wines. Love it. Love it. Love it. Anyway, crisp cold rosé. And this was 2001. I came back to America and I was pounding and bravo on rosé. And everyone made fun of me, but I think I'm the guy that now started the new rosé kick in America. Yeah, I'm sure it was you. And whatever happened to our lightning round pacing? So when you're ready ready to pontificate, then time is unlimited. Would you like to discuss the Riesling, the white wines of of Austria? And Germany, yes. I like Germany. Yes. In back-to-back episodes, you have mentioned your love of Chateauneuf de Pop, the Grenache grape, and your time in Avignon. And you want to give me crap for liking white wine? I like white wine too, but I just happen to like red. Eh? And now I ask you, as long as we're sort of in this rarefied air that you've put me in, um, and it wasn't Avignon, I was in, I was in Baume de Venise, so outside of Avignon, but still in Provence. So Do you prefer the pastoral, beautiful, verdant landscapes of Claude Monet, or the chaotic, just bursting with energy cubism of Pablo Picasso? I'm a Picasso guy, which is not to say that I don't appreciate the impressionists and the beauty of Monet's work, because of course it is beautiful. And I'm not a huge modernist guy either, but I do appreciate the non-conforming creativity, whatever the right words are, of Picasso's work. And I'm familiar with a picture that is in a colleague of mine's office where he has this wonderful photo of Picasso up on a ladder doing his art on a giant canvas. And despite the fact that my colleague's office is filled with some really wonderful treasures and pictures and and artifacts, it is the picture of Picasso painting on a wall-sized canvas that uh, that I've always appreciated the most. So I actually agree with you. By the way, I think I've seen that picture, and I think it's he's painting Guernica at that point, which was his take on the Spanish Civil War, because wow. that was a huge mural, and I think I've seen, and I know what you're talking about. And that's in the Prado in Madrid, and it is spectacular. Yeah. You don't sound that affected right now <laughs> at all. But I thought he was actually painting an, an impression of a Grenache grape, a tree in Provence. Okay, go ahead and ask me one. All right. Growing up, Kurt. Yes. Were you a Coke or Pepsi guy? Neither. You may have misunderstood the question and the format, Kurt. (laughs) Coke or Pepsi? My grandmother was a huge Pepsi fan, so I'll go Pepsi. 
So this obviously was an easier question when we were kids, and it's perhaps a reflection of the simpler times, but now you've got Coke Zero and Pepsi Max and all of these derivations and versions of Coke and Pepsi, but I'm not Tab anymore. So Tab really shit the bed, didn't they? Because they were Diet Coke before there was Diet Coke, and they really owned the Diet Cola category. Fresca was also seen as a big diet soda when we were... Oh, love the Fresca. Kurt, it was for girls. Why were you drinking Fresca? Fresca? It is so light and refreshing with that grapefruit in there. Oh, my God. And don't forget that great line in Caddyshack when Judge Small says, Say, how about a Fresca? So I'm a Coke guy. When new Coke came out, I was more than a little bit upset. But as I said earlier, I'm all seltzer all the time now. Okay. I'm going to ask you another one then. Game of Thrones or Jeopardy? Well, this is an easy one for me because I resisted the phenomenon that was Game of Thrones. And it's not that I didn't want to watch. It's just that that type of fantasy is not my favorite kind of entertainment, even though I'm sure I would have loved the show like everybody else. But by the time I seriously considered getting involved, it was probably like season five, six. And to put in the time to watch all of those seasons was not something that I was prepared to do. So I decided not to step on the slippery slope of watching the first few episodes. And I do really enjoy Jeopardy, although I haven't seen it in years. And it's a good test of, it's a good reminder of how little we we actually know. We should do a Jeopardy episode. I love Jeopardy. All right. You know what? We should do Jeopardy. So rather than your arbitrary, you lost on hot dog versus hamburger, (laughs) we will have a definitive, quantitative score. And the world will know so, who is the smart and who is the drivel. Can we have a tie, though? Because I think, for me, Game of Thrones and Jeopardy are tied. I love okay. them both. You, you can't tie what are essentially <laughs> apples and oranges. Okay, first. then I'll On go with... basis, they're tied. In terms of your entertainment pleasure... Titillation factor, John. You, you find Jeopardy titillating. Absolutely. Yeah, it wakes up my senses. It fires my synapses like no tomorrow. Bing, 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 bing. Synapses going crazy, fornicating. You find, it, you find it stimulating, not titillating then. No, I find it titillating of my synapses. When you're watching, is perhaps the window open and there's a stiff breeze going across your body when you're watching Jeopardy? That might be titillating. Okay, you get to ask one now. Disco or rap? I I hesitate to say the lesser of two evils because in both there is beauty, art, and crap. I will go, I'm going to offend a lot of people here. Well, either way, I'm going to go with disco, John, because I just got Donna Summer in my head right now and I can't. Was she whoa, whoa, whoa on the radio? Yeah. Would you like to do some? What's another great Donna Summer song? I'll, I'll retract that question. <laughs> so, I'm still struggling with it's a tie between Jeopardy and Game of Thrones. It's like calling a tie between a sneaker and an elephant, which reminds me of a joke. Okay. What is the quietest thing in the world, Kurt? A flea walking across an elephant's balls with sneakers on. <laughs> Why sneakers on? It keeps it quiet. So rubber soles. I think so. I, I never really thought that much about it. I took it for what it was. It's funny. Okay. I'm glad you chose disco. And it's impossible to even hear the word disco without seeing John Travolta in a three-piece suit under a disco ball with his right arm extended high up as he does whatever that thing was back in the days of Saturday Night Fever. 
And there probably are some disco songs that I enjoy. Even though I can't think of one at this moment, I'm going to go with rap. It's got a, an authenticity to it. And I look, they're both art forms, and I don't want to criticize any art form. Although I feel much more comfortable criticizing disco than rap. There's an authenticity right. to it that I don't think you get in disco. Wasn't there a song about the disco duck? Sure. Okay. I think you're on to something, Noah. There is an authenticity about rap that does not exist in the... I think disco was just a time and a place. And I do think that rap has already shown that it's been able to transcend time and place. But, I mean, is rock and roll the time and place? Is big band music time and place? I mean, doesn't every era have its dominant music form? No, rock and roll has been going since 1958. So disco lasted about four years. Uh, this gets into the trend versus fad debate we once had. So you think that disco was more of a fad, whereas rock and roll is more of a trend. I can live with that. Why don't we have rap as well? That and we'll sign it. And rap as well. I think you're good there. Okay. Can you imagine sitting in the south of France, in Provence, <laughs> having a hot dog, drinking a Coke, and listening to some rap music? I'd be all right with it. Okay. As long as it's old school, I, I go back to Tupac and Biggie. So, but that's that's just. And when you say you go back, in what way, Kurt, do you go back to Tupac and Biggie? John, Describe your relationship with them and their music. That is a different topic for a different time, and I've actually had to sign multiple NDAs to not talk about that. So, um, I think we should all consider ourselves fortunate for that. John, manual or automatic transmission? Oh wow. That's not even a choice you get anymore. I mean, how many cars are available now with a manual transmission? The first car I ever bought was an Acura Integra, 1987. It was red. It had those headlights. When you turn the headlights on, they popped up, which I thought was the coolest thing. It was a stick. And I loved that car. And I loved driving stick. And there are times today, infrequently, that I think, man, I would love to be driving a stick car right now. And of course, our hands are busy these days with phones and drinks and everything else going on in the car. But for my money, I would love to go out and drive, take a drive right now in a manual transmission car. Me too, John. Come on over. I have one. So you can you do it. Which car, what car do you have? I have a 1974 TR6 four-speed manual transmission. Well, I hope you hit the clutch when you shift gears in that car, because you certainly don't get the clutch when you shift topics in a conversation. Wow. There is something beautiful about manual transmission because, again, you feel the engine and you feel the engine as part of the road. You don't even look at the RPMs. You just feel it and it's straining, but it's straining in the right way and it's aspiring to do as much as it can that gear. And then all of a sudden, boom, you upshift and you get to a higher gear. It's also a much more active experience, obviously, because it's driving manually shifting gears and downshifting. And you're just a lot more aware of driving a car, whereas in a man in an automatic, I mean, I'm sure this has happened to everybody. You're driving down the turnpike, and next thing you know, 20 exits have gone by. You can't remember anything that's happened. You were just, you were literally in autopilot. I guess not literally in autopilot. That's coming, but historically probably dangerous. But you're just sort of mindlessly there, whereas so, manual is so active. John, you like to ask me percentages. So I'm going to ask you, what percentage of people in America below the age of 35 can drive a stick shift? Not to drive them regularly, but can drive one. Now, I have to think for a second. We're not talking tractors and stuff. No, yet. I knew you were going to say that. We're not. 
I'm going to go with low teens or at the most and probably below 10% because one, very few people own a manual car anymore. And so therefore, we don't have the opportunity to. And two, we like having things done for us even more and more every day. So what's your number? It's below the Mendoza line. So it's pretty damn low. And what do you consider the Mendoza line to be? Well, in baseball, it was the average of Mendoza, which I think was like 146 when he played for the Yankees. Typically, when it was Mario Mendoza, he, he played predominantly for Pittsburgh. And I believe when his average was below 200 or below the interstate, then they referred to the Mendoza line. I don't think the Mendoza line was necessarily a specific number other than below 200. Oh, right. Well, anyway, I'm saying 20%, by the way, I would say then way below that. And I would say it's 12%. Pretty close to what it's I a, get. It's a sham and a travesty. They can't drive stick shift. They don't know Love American style. They've never understood the beauty of the movie Fletch. I mean, there's just a lot of things about this generation. Boy, do I sound old. Oh, my God. I can't believe the things you just said. I mean, you know, they have their own defining experiences and cultural talisman. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that. You can't even say that with a straight face. Well, well, it's not a word that necessarily makes you laugh, but for some reason it made me laugh. Okay, fair enough. Well, yes, you basically have communicated that you were from a different generation than these people, and you were clearly from the older generation based on your attitude. Yes. Mountains? or beach, which I believe we touched on in our last episode. We did. Well, by the way, the idea for this whole episode came from the last episode when we were talking about sweet or savory crepes. And that... Well, that's right. Because you had had just visited in your lovely, esoteric, ethereal, privileged life, you had just visited a crepe stand and you had like Gruyere and ground up Monet paintings as your toppings. (laughs) Not Monet. No, no. I oh, Manet, had, sorry. It was at a Renoir? Oh, Manet. By the way, Manet was a genius. Not only Olympia, which, by the way, got zero credit when he first painted it. It wasn't until like five years later that it came if out. If you start talking about his brush strokes, I'm ending this episode. He had beautiful brush strokes. <laughs> All, right. All right. Mountain or beach, Kurt? I, let's just assume, a- let's assume that there are crepe stands in both places. So that doesn't affect the balance at all. Mountains. Summer or winter, mountains. You want to give us a reason why? While I think the ocean is nice, I think the beach is fun for about 45 minutes. And that's about it. Mountains, you can climb in the summer and get the wonderment of going through different ecosystems and and getting exercise and just, just getting your soul ingested with the majesty that are mountains. And in the winter... You get to do this wonderful thing, which is the greatest sport in the world. It's called skiing. Et toi, John? That's French for and you? Fortunately, I'm a beach person. And I hadn't considered the ability to transverse multiple ecosystems in one lovely height with Walden by his pond or wherever you are, if there's a mountain near there. but Or even throw on Walden Pond. <laughs> you know what? I enjoy sitting by Walden Pond as much as the next guy, even though it's not near a mountain, Kurt. So I don't know why you brought that up at all. There could be a beach on Walden Pond. Could be Berkshires nearby, perhaps. But I love the beach. Uh, There's something about being near the water, smelling salt water, hearing the sounds of the birds and people enjoying the beach. There's something relaxing about 
just lying there or being there under the sun. And there's the vastness of the water where you can look out and see near infinity. And not only is that beautiful, but it gives you perspective because you feel kind of small in a good way that all of the things that you're fussing about probably don't matter that much in the big scheme of things. I feel more peaceful. Wow. Water. Do you like to meditate, John? I like to medicate, Kurt. Is that okay. the same thing? <laughs> do you know that I once heard how far do you think the horizon is? Like in distance? Yeah. They actually, they were able to do it with, you know. Yeah, they used a horizonometer. Of course they did. Galileo probably invented it. Yeah. I will tell you, it is 14 miles. I would have guessed a little bit less than that. So I'm glad you saved me from the trouble. All right. I got another one for you then. Books or movies? Hands down, movies, book it. No pun intended. Two reasons. One, I love movies. I love movies. And as much as I love to buy books, I am not nearly as good at reading the books. So if the goal is to consume the content, then movies for sure. I do like being surrounded by books. I think there's even a word for that condition, whether you read them or not. I just feel better. Bibliosity. Is that the term for yeah. being surrounded by books? Bibliosity, yeah. Or are you making that up? Yep. I love movies, but I will go with books. And here is why. Books give you the opportunity to imagine what they look like, what the background looks like, what the house looks like that they're in, allows you to paint the, make it come alive in your own brain. So you have a control factor and a creative factor. You're sort of a co-creator with the author as you let it come alive in your mind. So while I love movies, I like books better. It's kind of like a manual transmission where you participate in the process in a much more active way, Kurt. Is that fair? Wow. Way to bring it together. You're, you're a Linkosity type of guy. You're linking it today. Yeah, that's from the, uh, the link from Lincoln Logs where you build things and put them together. Kurt, spaghetti? Spaghetti or penne? Or let me ask you differently. Spaghetti or any one of the short noodles? Oh, well, wait a second. So, by the way, this makes me think of one of my favorite New Yorker cartoons of all time. You have a ravioli, just, you know, straight ravioli on the phone. And he says, Fusili, you crazy bastard. How are you? Because Fusili is, you know, spiral, kind of a crazy bastard. Did I tell our listeners that you stole that from me because I have that cartoon on my wall and it's not ravioli. It's a ziti, a straight ziti. And he's calling the curly Q Fusilli and says, how are you, you crazy bastard? I love that. So one of my favorite New Yorker cartoons, which we also have in our house, is a picture of a pitcher, a baseball pitcher on the mound. He's wearing these gigantic glasses. And the caption reads, returning to the mound after successful Elton John surgery. (laughs) Spaghetti or penne? Well, spaghetti over penne, but spaghetti over fusilli or farfalle. All right. So spaghetti or fusilli. Okay. Is it spaghetti or is it linguine? Spaghetti. That's why I said spaghetti, not linguine. They might be hard to confuse visually. They're very difficult to confuse audiologically. Fusilli. Why? You like how the sauce gets caught up in there? Uh Uh-huh gets caught in there. And especially when you make George's meat sauce, which is this amazing meat sauce. Oh my God. Yes. And you, which one? 
spaghetti all the way. It Why? is the quintessential shape. I like to spin it in my fork, with my fork rather. And I find sometimes Fusilli and its brethren sometimes difficult to fork. So, Are you titillated when you do that? Kurt. All right. I have never been a part of a conversation with you where you have been wrong so consistently as you were today. So thank you for that, because someone's got to be wrong when you make choices. So I enjoyed this very much today. Thank you for the conversation. I had a good time as well. We will be back next week with another new episode of Smart Drivel, where we promise to drivel and hope for the smart. That's us. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Ciao, ciao.